Hello and welcome to the Marketing Agility Podcast. We're coming to you live today from Diesel Cafe in scenic Somerville, Massachusetts. It's been a few months since our last podcast, but John and I have got excited about trying to get back on the wagon. So before we get to our guest today, I'd like to say hello to John. Hi, how you doing? Good, we're doing well. It's nice to be back on the podcast wagon after a brief respite. And I think part of the inspiration for today's show was around trying to do some planning for 2012 and, and having a discussion of where does the marketing plan fit? Yeah, I think that's important. I mean, I think everybody's thinking about planning for 2012. I think it's important to not only think about what the plan is, but also how are you going to manage that process, especially with all the new tools and channels that are out there. Yeah, great. Well, without further ado, I'd like to introduce today's guest, David Karp. Uh, He's the director of marketing at Currency. That's two R's, S, and two E's at the end. I can let him uh, give a plug for, the, for his company down the road. He's also the leading blogger about LimeDuck on LimeDuck.com. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thanks, Frank and John. It's great to be here in the uh, Paris of Somerville. <laughs> the Paris of Somerville. Why don't we jump in? Um, David and I you know, worked together in a previous life, and we practiced Agile together, but you know, it's been a few years. Can you share some of your experiences with Agile in marketing? Well, we practiced and practiced, and I'm not really sure how good we got at it, <laughs> but that is sort of, sort of part of the point of Agile, isn't it? You know, Frank and I have worked together in a number of technology companies where Agile was the dominant development methodology. And, uh, you know, they had their special Agile hats and Agile cards and Agile dice and, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of heavy process, which sometimes worked very well, sometimes less so. You know, in marketing, we always took a, a lighter approach to it, you know, picking and choosing from the different elements of Agile. So in some places... Uh, it's a lot more about the scrum board than it is right. about the costing. Right. And it seemed like that's kind of been, John, you can attest to this, it's been kind of a recurring theme on the podcast from the guests that we've had, that it has been less about dogma, and uh, it's been really more about, I could insert a joke about karma, but no, it's been more about the principles and the benefits of being agile versus wasting a lot of time planning. And, and the people that people we've talked about, in relative terms, marketers have been a lot less dogmatic about agile. I think that's very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen that? Well, sometimes I think that marketers being less dogmatic is simply because we never really read the rule book in any depth. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, I always thought in, in my trying to practice Agile, I've looked around for different tools to try and do it. And ultimately, I ended up keep ending up back on a Google Docs spreadsheet. Whereas, you know, as you look at the developers, they've got all kinds of sophisticated tools and burn down charts and all these things. I mean, what's your... I'm going to steal John's question here for the day. Talk to us about tools and methodologies and approaches. You, you probably didn't know when you asked that question that I have a strong viewpoint here. As soon as you said Google Docs spreadsheet, I kind of seized up a little bit. Because for me, one of the most important things about Agile is transparency. And as soon as there's an online document that maybe not everyone has, or not everyone can see, or not everyone walks by every day on their way to the executive washroom, yeah. then you got a problem. So despite all of the disadvantages that come with this process, I, I return to, as I like to say, my, my favorite renewable material from Portugal, and that is cork. Cork and pins. And I know after that incident with the stapler, some people were nervous about the pins, but having an index card in your hand that says, this is what's happening, yeah. moving it up the stack, 
taking it down when it's done and tearing it into little pieces, these are all really satisfying things. But I've run into, I guess I have a different set of challenges than you do, and I had this at Novell, and now I have this in my current role at CoralSense, that I've got geographically dispersed teams. So I've got one guy on the West Coast, I had one guy in D.C., I've got guys in Israel. I mean, how do you, the cork on the wall, just unless I have this permanent webcam that's kind of projected on it, I don't have the all-in-one location benefit, so I'm kind of stuck looking for some kind of technology solution. That That's certainly a big challenge, and I haven't got an easy answer for you, but I do think the permanent webcam is not as big a joke as you make it sound. Google Plus Hangouts are being used. Every laptop's got a webcam. They're awful cheap. You know, maybe there is a way to do that, or maybe there is an online tool that I would grudgingly accept in a distributed environment. Yeah, I, I know that you and I, when we were practicing Agile, we did have post-it notes on the wall, God Save the Queen, and all, all that stuff, but um, we just really have struggled with it in, in, in geographically dispersed environments. So you're suggesting, you are suggesting the webcam. Are you, I don't, I'm not familiar with Google Hangouts. John, do you know about Google Hangouts? You were defending the cloud earlier. Oh, isn't that the situation where you can, um, you can use video uh, to access um, several people at once? Yeah, you, you create yeah. a workspace of sorts, and a webcam object is one of the things in it. I see. And there's really no logical reason why it couldn't be on 24-7 and anybody could walk by. But I guess I wouldn't really want to be the guy looking at the scrum board through a webcam yeah. without some serious zoom and pan controls in my hand. Well, at least you could always mail them the index cards afterwards if they finish them. <laughs> mm. Wow, index cards. Index cards and Sharpies, what would we do without them? But remember, it's going to take an extra day to do that shortly. Mm. <laughs> so let's shift gears here and talk for a second about 2012, right? We're now in budget season. I have to admit, I just submitted my first round of budget, and we're gonna, my team's starting to review it, and I'm sure it's going to go through that normal ping-ponging of back and forth and cutting and adding and planning and projecting and which is ultimately going to have a shelf life of about I don't know three to six months what is what is your marketing planning process look like and where does agile fit into that for you that's funny I was thinking about it and uh, on the way over here that in a lot of organizations budgeting is itself a decently agile process until it's done and then it kind of fossilizes. So right now, we're all in the thick of this two weeks left to, to, to the year. We are resubmitting drafts. We're revising. We're, we're constantly moving things around. But then at some point, it kind of solidifies. And I know the finance guys demand that. But I, I, I do agree with you that anybody making a plan or a budget depends on your, your business and your sales cycle, but a, a plan or a budget more than maybe two or three times your sales cycle is just diluting themselves. Yeah. So, so you're saying you know, try to be thinking in terms of, I mean, what's the planning horizon you're working on oftentimes? Well, currency is a startup. Yep. We're, we're, we're venture funded and we are, like many startups, you know, revising our way of being on a pretty regular basis. Same here with where I am at Coral Sense. And, you know, we budget... We theoretically budget on an annual basis, but you know, in some of the companies that you and I have worked together on, there's always this notion of an annual budget, but six months, three to six months into the year, three months in, you're starting to realize the mistakes you made in planning, and six months into the year, there's always that recasting of the budget for, this, for H2. That's um, right. You can't, you can't go to a room full of VCs with a three-month plan 
and ask for a lot of money. You've got to show them you've got some idea of what's happening, but they they don't care at the dollars and cents level of day-to-day, and for that you really only need a couple of months or a quarter. I mean, one of the things I was thinking about as I was reflecting on what we talk about today in the show is the roadmap idea, right? In in R&D, they have this idea of a roadmap, which is the kind of meta plan. The next, at a macro level, version 3 is going to have these three high-level bullet points. Version 3.5 is going to have these three high-level bullet points and roughly stacking in when these things are going to happen. Unfortunately, it doesn't work for marketing. I'm not so sure. I, I think in some marketing situations, the uh, the meta plan, is that what you called it? The macro plan, the mega yeah. plan, the Uber plan, <laughs> is, is the revenue forecast that drives everything in a company, especially a venture-funded startup. Yep. And that, you know, that's something that gets plotted out for a long span of time, often before we really know how we're going to make it. But there's not a lot of going back on the revenue plan. So that is the thing into which we try to slot marketing plan initiatives. And try to, I guess, try to make some assumptions from, you know, both top down and bottom up in terms of, gee, I need X amount of traffic to get Y leads, to get Z opportunities, to get A dollars. Maybe that's the kind of planning that at least people do at a high level, but trying to kind of reconcile this, I need this many numbers from a goals with the idea of trying to be agile and be adaptable. If you've done your homework and done your analytics and know the shape of your funnel to the degree of precision you described, first of all, I applaud you. (laughs) Second of all, if if those figures all stay the same over the course of an entire year, you must be in some kind of agricultural commodity business. Yeah. Those, and I those think, numbers change all over the place on us. You know, and it, it seems like it's kind of counter to, unfortunately, financial professionals, you know, professional investors that invest in venture-funded companies have expectations for some level of certainty around costs, some level of cost control, and looking for some rigor in, in your forecasting and the way you execute. But another big part of being in a smaller or venture-funded company is the ability to learn quickly and adapt to both market circumstances and the realities as you learn that certain assumptions about your business just don't pan out. Certain assumptions about market dynamics don't pan out. New competitors arrive. And I guess that's where it comes back to some of the fundamental benefits of Agile. I suppose if things uh, at that scale are changing on you or your understanding of them are changing you are either revising your plan or you're deciding to stick with it and press on through, which seems a little goofy whether you want to call it Agile or not. Well, isn't that the whole point with Agile, which is it gives you a roadmap or it gives you a tool for deciding what's working and what's not and changing um, on the dime? I mean, that's the whole point. It's, 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 it's a method for, for understanding whether something is working and not sticking to that longer-term plan. Whereas, if you're looking for funding, you do need that longer-term plan because you want extra funding. But there's not a startup alive that's still on plan A. No. Right. It's a matter of how you package and understand your transition from plan A to plan B and how you communicate that transition to your market and, in fact, your investors. Yeah, exactly. and, and provide, in, in being rigorous in, in articulating what you're doing to at least prove to your professional investors that you're smart enough to understand this market and what's going on. Coming back to John's comment, I mean, for me, it's more the agile has been so much of 
the ability to be really adaptable and to adjust and to be responsive. I think there's so much, so many things come up. We have ideas that we want to test relatively quickly. You know, we have some stuff in the UK. Someone says, hey, let's do a campaign around the London Olympics. We can execute that relatively quickly. It just also is a little bit of a forcing function in terms of, okay, we're going to do this campaign around the London Olympics. What are we not going to do? I'll tell you one thing we're not going to do is we're not going to put a line in our budget for TBD slash slush fund slash experimentation. As much as I wish we would do experimentation, if not slush. So your, your point is dead on. We need to be flexible to decide to do something else, but that always, always entails a parallel decision to not do something. I always think like my dirty little secret of marketing planning is that some of the line items are relatively fixed. But then, you know, a big chunk of it is fluid, is flexible. I've always, it always has been managers of different level, different levels of micromanagement. The ones who've been more micromanagers find my budgeting and planning process infuriating. But as long as we make the top and bottom line numbers, there's a method to the madness. And I guess that's how I got involved in Agile because I kind of sort of realized that I was lousy at writing marketing plans because I found that the process largely useless and the plan had, it, it got out of date so quickly, it just didn't feel like it had a lot of value. At a micro level, at a macro level, there's a lot of reasons to want to do some plans, at least from creating some basic assumptions about what you're going to do for the coming year. So what you're saying here is when you're signing (laughs) an annual uh, retainer contract with your vendors, make sure that it's got an out clause. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's one of the things that I've always been notorious for is to try to make sure you have the out clause. And then there are always those assumptions like you've got to make sure you have money in there for your agencies, make sure you have money in there for your PPC, make sure you have money in there for your core things. But then there's some of the stuff that's fluid and it's going to be opportunistic and we're going to double down on the winners and kill the losers. I guess that's, you know, Agile is particularly good for that. So I guess we're kind of getting close to our our time for the, the podcast, but I just wanted to kind of end it with, you know, we've asked this question to most everyone who's been on the podcast, and this has been more for people who are thinking about trying to ad- adapt Agile in their marketing environment. Any advice for people who want to get started with Agile or maybe sell Agile to a skeptical boss? Don't call it Agile. Don't tell them it's a thing. Just start doing whatever part of it you can start doing. Great. If you mean start having a regular morning meeting, if it means buying index cards... If it means buying those little scrum cards that people have, you know, you, you don't you don't have to sign up for the whole thing. And making it sound like a whole thing can make it really hard for someone to accept adopting it. Wow. And here we are at Diesel Cafe in Somerville. They're flashing lights, I think, at us to tell us that it's almost closing time. So I guess that's a sign for us here at the end of the podcast. Just before we go, David, is there anything that you wanted to plug? We like to give our guests a chance to share something that's coming up or something something that's going on that you're doing, whether at work or outside. Hmm, well, I already plugged my favorite Portuguese sustainable product. So I'm going to go with something perhaps unusual for the Agility podcast, which is I'd like to plug uh, Slow Money which is a national organization, but there is a Boston chapter. Slow Money is taking the ideas of slow food and taking them sort of in an economic direction, focusing on local food systems, local economies, and small local businesses, which I think is an excellent way to eat. Wow, great. 
Well, thanks, David. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. And again, thanks for joining us, John. Thank just you. just to, to give people a little bit of update, again, you can find John Caff's blogging still at pr.typepad.com. Is that true, John? That's right, barely. Yes. Barely. Well, like all of us have been trying to find our inspiration for blogging. Yeah. And uh, also, you can find the Marketing Agility Podcast on iTunes as well as on agilemarketingblog.com. And on behalf of John Cass, myself, thank you again, David Carp, for joining us today. Thanks, guys. And we'll catch you at another time.